coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. January 6th, 2021. Like many, I was glued to the images of an attempted coup of the United States government on behalf of and incited by Donald J. Trump. The images of Confederate flags and nooses hanging in the Capitol building made me sick. Seeing the same uniformed officers who beat and kidnapped black and brown people for peacefully protesting racial injustice open the gates for white supremacists as they invaded their own country made me sick. Seeing those same officers who dragged elderly people, handicapped people, out of their wheelchairs for pleading to the government to be provided health care, fist-bumped fascists, made me sick. Seeing an unarmed, mentally ill veteran shot to death by federal officers made me sick. CNN commentators watching them whine about their poor, precious Capitol building and all their poor, precious statues of slave owners and criminals crying made me sick. Realizing that the one thing that can bring together the Republicans and the Democrats in Congress is fearing for their own pathetic, cowardly asses made me sick. Seeing the same fucks who refuse to protect school children from mass shootings or provide universal health care to their constituents cower in fear as they piss their adult diapers made me smile. Welcome to America, motherfuckers, where millions of us live in fear every day while you trade stocks and grandstand about presidential norms being shattered. And until you help us, you should live in fear too. As I saw Vice President Mike Pence scatter out of the Capitol building like a sniveling coward, I thought of how Teddy Roosevelt would have handled this situation when he was vice president under Bill McKinley. He would have fought off those traitors with one hand while counting electoral college votes with his other. He would have gone down with the ship like a true leader. Now, everyone who participated in this insurrection should be thrown in jail, and we certainly shouldn't be giving them exactly what they want by plastering their faces all over television. And as for those who incited this riot, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and dozens of others, they shouldn't be recalled or voted out or impeached they shouldn't even be tried for sedition or treason. They should be identified as enemy combatants operating as a terrorist splinter cell within the United States, bagged and zip-tied and thrown in Guantanamo Bay indefinitely. I will not engage in both sides, both sideism, because this whole event has made me completely disregard the idea of sides, taking sides and proclaiming what side you're on. I'm not on the side of these white supremacist traitors. I'm not on the side of the cops who killed that woman, just like they killed countless black and brown people. But I'm certainly not on the side of the sniveling cowards 
who found themselves under siege this week. I don't wish anyone to die or be hurt or have one hair on their head be hurt. But watching them cower in fear made me smile. I'm joined remotely by my illustrious co-host, Ben Gordon. How are you doing, sir? Uh, after that, I'm uh, fearfully smiling, might I say. <laughs> it's, uh, I, mean, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, a lot of, to, to start from, I, I was thinking a lot of the same things about put them in holding if you're not in Guantanamo Bay somewhere and apply mm -hmm. the same principle that we apply to the powerless and the poor and the off white skin people, which is basically yeah. as we've been hearing more and more, we can come into your house, even if it's the wrong one, because we have a hunch that maybe there might be somebody here that might have some drugs. We saw in broad daylight what happened. So fucking put them in holding until we figure this stuff out and what to do with them, don't you? And so, and so, you know, maybe the excuse is right now that we don't, that uh, the people holding the executive branch are the ones instigating it. But if it doesn't happen on January 21st, uh, then it's, it's, uh, it's untenable. The, you know, we know the establishment must be destroyed, but if, the Democratic Party doesn't go far enough to do it, itself is becoming complicit in it. And if the only constant between the transfer of power between the two parties is that the rentier financial class continues to gain power, our democracy will fall to fascism in uh, not just our lifetime, but probably within the next 10 to 20 years, if not sooner, because part of the appeal to joining what's quickly becoming a white nationalist party is if there's obviously the hardcore center, which, you know, I, I like to think people can change. Maybe they can, but forget about them for a second, which is a, a small portion for the people on the periphery. The appeal to a party that's seen as elitist and, uh, and, and does not respect people either because they don't have a good enough job or they didn't go to college, but says they want to help, but doesn't really help or doesn't actually even run on that platform. We saw what Biden's campaign was. It was not universal programs. It was a defense of the neoliberal order. So, you know, let's hope some more sober minds finally get through to people in power and, uh, make the broad sweeping transformations we need to alongside showing that uh, attempted coups are unacceptable. And while we try to sort through which statute or law to try you under, we're just gonna hold you indefinitely. Uh, because if we don't do that, it just continues the same narrative of if you get up, if you're powerful enough, you basically play by a whole separate uh, set of rules even after you've lost that power. And uh, history is not kind to civilizations that don't moderate and govern uh, what's considered acceptable speech. We obviously wanna uphold free speech, 
but there's boundaries to everything. And if we just let anything run wild, we quickly fall the way of fascism. And it's not going to look exactly like it did in Germany or Italy or uh, other places. It's going to be our own brand. And we're, right. there's been signs of it for decades. It's not just the last four years. Trump just played it up really well. But if we don't see, or a lot of people are the we, that we do see it. So if a lot of the powers that be, including even things, I was pretty pissed off when I saw the headline the next day by the New York Times saying, can we call this an attempted coup? It's like, are you fucking Can we serious? call you a newspaper? Yeah, it's like I was the first thing I thought of is when they uh, had it was either a review or a section printed of Hitler's Mein Kampf and an editorial about it and how it probably wasn't going to be that bad. And there's a whole bunch of other examples. And because it looks different, like you said, we pointed this out yeah. before a the, the modern version of the Appalachian coal mine is the Amazon fulfillment center. It looks different, but its effect is the same. Mm-hmm. This looks different than the, the, the beer hall push because this is a different time and we're a different culture. Mm-hmm. But it is effectively the same. Yeah. And just because the, uh, the rentier class doesn't go on hunting expeditions and they look like dorky programmers <laughs> or you know, similarly bullied in school and are trying to live out their childhood fantasies, which I was thinking two nights ago, I'm like, or last night, I was like, Trump's getting everything he's always wanted. The entire world is waiting on pin needles to see what he does. He's been fantasizing about this probably since he was sent to that military camp and belittled and made to feel like an insignificant human. And now he's lashing out and he's probably sitting there like the entire world is watching me because they think that I might drop a nuclear bomb. And if I could get enough people to go along with me, you know what, I'm going to fucking do it. Luckily, he can't, he himself cannot actually, he can set orders and there's a couple of steps there. But, you know, he's not going to get into a plane. He's a fucking coward. Yeah. <laughs> Nor would he I know mean, what to do. But, you know. I, I keep wondering, we, we keep wondering at moments like this, like, why doesn't he go all the way? I mean, why didn't he just hop on, well, he couldn't go on Twitter because they picked him up. He, what if he just said, keep going, keep going, come on, let's go. Like, I'm going to, and then declared martial law or whatever. But like you said, he's a coward. So somebody got to him. And he's, and according to reporting, he's completely closed himself off to anybody except the most syncophatic, syncophantic uh, uh, inner circle. He's cut himself off from everybody except the most uh, uh, ridiculous people in his orbit. Mm-hmm. But Somehow, at some point, somebody pulled him back to the brink, not because they were like, you have to do this for the soul of America, but because they pointed out that it could do him harm, like they might arrest you. I guarantee no one got through to him and said, you have to go on TV and say that this is bad and to stop because it's the right thing for the nation. I someone today said it looked like it was a hostage video and he was reading. Exactly. No, he was reading from a script, but they said it looked like he was a hostage reading something <laughs> he didn't want to read. Yeah. I, I mean, I someone think, convinced him it was in his best interest to do that. And I think so. So I think it was two pronged. It was both that and also that let's look at this as our scrimmage. This is a battle in a war. We're going to pull back a little bit. We're going to regroup. We're going to see what happens and we're going to accomplish this in two years and four years and six years and eight years. But yeah. you're a mastermind. You're amazing. You set off 
the taking, you know, whatever they use. So it's both don't harm yourself. And I, I th I'm increasingly thinking he is going to leave the U.S. because he does just doesn't want to be here. Um, but also those sick of because he's a traitor. Yeah, but the sick group. of fans are saying you're the Godfather. Let the next generation pick up where you left off, Godfather. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was probably Ivanka. And that's the that's the threat of fascism that it doesn't go away. It doesn't it was go like, away. Daddy, Daddy, I want to be a senator in Florida. Don't ruin everything for me, Daddy. I'll <laughs> suck your dick, Daddy, just like we used to when we when I was a kid. No, I guarantee dude. that's what was going on. Maybe let's not go down that route. But I really, I do see this. Is it's uh, and the thing is, like, there are hundreds of thousands of different organizers and groups. I've been finding more and more every day that get it and are trying to organize people around it. But it's very difficult if the core of the only alternative we have right now, at least politically, which is through the Democratic Party. There's other parties, you know, like the, the, the Workers' Party and things like that. But it's that. And then also the major news outlets that still, that quote unquote moderates, I call them centrists. And if you're the center between fascism and neoliberalism, you're not really doing much for this world. But, you know, you can call yourself centrist. New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, if they don't continue amplifying the threats, this is how... Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, democracies die. And it's yeah. not necessarily going to be a, the dictatorship will look more like a corporate, a state corporate dictatorship in which you have, as you said, like a confederacy of corporations that use anyone and everyone they can to achieve their vision of global order and power. Um, and we're just part of their feedlot or their feedstock. Right. And they'll and say, and, and they'll do symbolic gestures. So it's, you know, it's the off white house. We'll put a bunch of neoliberal thinking people that their skin color is different, their background is different, but they basically believe everyone is part of their scheme for power. And they're not. Or nominate Merrick Garland for no oh other reason God. except to just stick it in the face of, of Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's fun. It's a funny way to say, fuck you, Mitch McConnell. You scuttled his nomination for Supreme Court, but now that you've lost your chamber, we're going to to force him down your throat. Second of all, I don't, they say, oh, the Democratic majority, the Democrat, this is not a majority. It's a fucking tie. Just because constitutionally, uh, Vice President Harris can come over and sprinkle fairy dust on legislation to make it pass does not mean you have a majority. Last I checked, 50-50 is not a majority. That's a tie. But wait, why are and I almost why are the two independents getting counted in the D column? Because they caucus with the oh, so it's Bernie Sanders caucuses. Caucus. So yeah, there's a difference between the party and the caucus. Okay, so the caucus decides who uh, is the speaker. Uh, I mean, yeah, they they vote. I I guess obviously, yeah. I mean, who cares? <laughs> it's but I'm it's, glad Bernie's okay. So that Bernie came on the. Uh, he came on Anderson Cooper mm -hmm. uh, uh, the other day and he was being interviewed about what was going on. And then Cooper kept going like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Nancy Pelosi's talking. I got to cut to her. And he's like, OK. And then 
And then he came back and he's like, okay, as I was saying, and then Anish Cooper's like, oh, Mitch McConnell's talking. Oh, I got to switch back. And he was like, okay, I'm going, bye. And he hung up. Wow. He also said exactly what I've been thinking all week and in some of my journal entries that he didn't say this in the same words, but basically the last time the Democrats had control of all, you know, both these two branches. Um, yes, they did nothing. They dropped the ball. 2008, 2010, they dropped the ball. And he's like, we saw what happened in 2010. And, and they had a bigger majority. Saying, yeah, and he's also he, but he's saying that if we don't pass these sweeping, let because someone now, even Tom Hartman now, today was pointing out now, yeah, that some of the people that voted for Trump, it's a minority, but some of them voted for things like uh, forgiving student debt and uh, medical debt and things like that. So some and and so some of these things, it's you're not going to get the white nationalist fascists that truly want to overthrow and take back this country but you don't need to what you need to do is diminish the power from who to from whom exactly for whom but it's like that voice becomes less that 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 voice becomes less and less uh appealing if you're getting the things you really care about and you're and you feel like you're actually being cared for and your voice is being heard and you're right and as long as the joe mansions of the world agree with the susan collins of the world the world and hold together this mushy center like you're talking about, then they can use those extreme voices, those fascist white nationalists to agree and therefore form this, this coalition that the only thing they can agree on is that they're not Nazis and they're mm-hmm. afraid for their own skin. And Joe Manchin are that th- we haven't even sworn in Ossoff and Warnock. Um, and Joe Manchin has already said, fuck your $2,000 checks. So this is your mushy center of the apricot of Georgia. Mm-hmm. I mean, God bless uh, 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 Warnock and Ossoff, especially Warnock. Um, because I think, and we could talk about this later, he represents the what some people are calling the emergence of the religious left. Because what we've seen for so long is that faith and patriotism have been hijacked by right-wingers. You can be patriotic and also support giving people health care and and making sure that they have the programs in place to feed themselves uh, when a system uh, doesn't allow them to do as much. You can be a patriot and also believe that we should not be... uh, staging our own coup d'etat in other countries. So, you know, we're obviously not of the same faith of of Pastor Warnock, but I think it's wonderful that people of faith are entering leadership in in the Democratic Party. Uh, I think that's a good thing. And I think that we should be able to work with people of different faiths. Exactly. I think that's that's wonderful. Let's come. We need to find those unifying issues that we agree on. And I think one of the biggest difficulties is. Seems like it's been in our entire adult life, these false dichotomies that have been so amplified and make everything seem so divisive where it's like if you voted Republican, you're now just a bad person and you're canceled where it's like. If we continue to cling to a lot of these false dichotomies, we're never going to get through to what I see as one of the feedstocks of fascism in the U.S., which is what I keep calling this rentier neoliberal financial class. 
which is yeah. which is everything from big tech to Wall Street, basically continuing to privatize and gut, which is the agenda also of the Republican Party and their extremists. But if the Democratic Party also goes along with it, it's very difficult to ever come around unifying issues that the vast majority of people agree on if we keep clinging to these same false dichotomies that are part of this divide and conquer strategy, which only benefits this, these two small groups. And uh, obviously that, that ruling, that, that tiny group of billionaires and incredibly uh, rich people is tiny compared to the uh, core group of what we're calling white nationalists or, or, or fascists. That one's much larger, but that one gains um, more ground as the supposed other party, when they come into power, power don't do those social, economic, um, and environmental programs that people yeah. on both sides are asking for. And it just, it's this negative feedback loop. And so it's a lot of it is like, yes, we are going to have to get over the fact that some of the programs that are broad-based and universal will go to people that in the past paradigm that we need to leave behind, quote unquote, didn't deserve it. We victimized them. Yeah. And if we don't get over that, it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be, uh, it won't be a pretty sight. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to get away from the, the, the politics of the pain is the point, mm-hmm. right? That should be, that should be the, uh, the domain of these people who love to feast on liberal tears, who, by the way, are the biggest crybabies in the world, as we saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. Wins. The ones who said, oh my God, I couldn't see this happening. It's like, well, then you're living in your own little echo chamber of your elitist little fucking... Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean the right wing people who like oh. they love to say feast off of the tears of of, of liberals. They're the ones mm. that are crying the tears yesterday. But I love this idea of the fascist feedback that you basically, in order to foment fascism in a supposedly liberal democracy, is you have to have this like consistent feedback of bullshit that you're sent, uh, selling them. The irony is that this feedback you're talking about that there's this like elite banking class that's like taking over the country this elite business class is taking over the country um that we have sort of observed uh is is actually actually does exist but it's not like the jews it's just has nothing to do with religion or faith or anything it's just has to do with with money mm-hmm. that this money. thing that we're talking about is exactly what hitler used as his feedback Except in Hitler's case, it wasn't true. He was saying all these Jews are in charge of everything and running everything, which was totally not true. And Trump is saying that these Elon Musks and these Zuckerbergs and these gates of the world are controlling everything. And it's absolutely true. Yeah. That is why this is more dangerous than what was happening in Germany 100 years ago. And Hitler didn't have any nuclear weapons. Right. Because exactly. He's starting from a true premise. And that's one of the most difficult things you have. We have to acknowledge that the starting point is true. And it's not just control. It's taking over. If we're saying government is supposed to be by for by and for the people. So funny. 
then if it's if it's working increasingly for a smaller and smaller group and against not just neutral but against the vast majority it becomes just complete it's state capture and in the past it was called state capitalism or state corporatism now it's um and we say rentier because a lot of the way that they amass their relative fortune is by making the cost of living for everyone else much higher, whether it's through the actual rent you pay to live or interest or cost, uh, of your debt. cost of your debt, healthcare, things that used or student debt, things that used to be free. And so a yeah. lot of it, in my mind, it's some of the nuances also lost when we say we need a wealth tax to pay for these programs. It's like, no, no, no. We create money by the stroke of a keyboard. Correct. We need taxes to show two things. One is that uh, it acknowledges that that money is not this primary thing that can are can be the, the the grand arbiter of all value and worth. Because it but doesn't exist. It does exist, but it's not as powerful as we we give it credit to when we say we need their money to pay for it. It's like it's not. Whatever. And then the second is also that we see what happens when inequalities grow, whether they're social or economic. And that's part of also the appeal of Nazism, that it was also more global, that the that the US and, and Western Europe did to some degree, not obviously as starkly as the uh, Nazi party said, starting in the 20s, as they said they did. But there was a diminishment of people's worth and value by taking and not giving back. And we know the U.S. has done that all over. Like, you know, it, it's just finally in our soil. We've helped overturn, I think it's right. about 30 or 32 democracies, mostly since World War II. Because this is our COVID staycation. I'm not the one yeah. that made this joke. There was a joke that the reason why we're staging a coup in our own country is because of travel restrictions. We can't go stage coups. In <laughs> Yeah, that would be nice if it was that that because uh, that makes it seem like it's a passing thing. But this shit's deeply embedded and it's been metastasized right since the seventies, really. And luckily, it clearly didn't work in uh, in Iraq. So uh, so it's not no. Work here and either. and someone reminded us the most <laughs> recent successful coup by the U.S. was under the Obama administration in Egypt. And if we go back to normalcy, the most number of deportations ever was under the Obama administration and Biden. Biden was more in yeah. charge of that than he was. And uh, Libya as well. Yeah. And so it's like, which normalcy are we going back to? Gaddafi was no hero. I mean, the guy was a, a crazy genocidal fuck himself. Right. He had, a hell of, he had a hell of a style and he was the only one who would go before the UN and talk about the, talk about the JFK conspiracy theory in yeah. like 2009. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got to hope that people are always male or are, can change. We've got to hope that all of different people coming at people taking over positions of power and later this month yeah, will, still will listen, but we don't know yet. And it's going to be a very interesting two years. There's so much hatred uh, uh, for these despicable Bond villains, these Superman villains uh, who are running these these tech com companies and these uh, uh, and, and, and Walmart or whatever. There's so much disdain from these people uh, all over the place that I think it is, unless they kill all of us, impossible for them to hang on to power. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, what will happen when this, when these people are overthrown? Um, in a Batman, the Dark Knight rises uh, level of, you know, a storm is coming and you people are going to wonder how you lived so large and left so little for the rest of us. But the question is, what will happen afterwards? It's mm. like you were saying earlier, it's like, well, we might see this fall of this oligarchy, this feudalistic system happen in our lifetime, but we probably won't be able to see uh, a better uh, alternative emerge in the vacuum. In fact, we'll probably temporarily in certain pockets see worse things pop up. And then, of course, they'll point to people like us and say, see, you shouldn't have overthrown this because now we got worse people. And to this, I always say the first thing you should do after a revolution is get rid of people like me. (laughs) You know, get rid of people like Che and Castro. Those people, you know, Che and Castro were really great at overthrowing governments and were clearly horrible at running a government. Mm -hmm. Free one. So all of us people are trying to rile up everybody to, to go revolt. When if this revolution happens, please just put me out to pasture or lock me up or something. For God's sakes, don't let me help create a new government. <laughs> I got too much baggage. No, maybe at least I mean, let us have a chance. Put us on like some reaches of of Greenland or the Arctic and see if we can survive. Sure. Give us a fighting chance. Come on. But I totally agree. I reserve the right of my son to throw me in, uh, up against a firing squad. I think I think that some of what we call the establishments. Uh, in their mind, they, they ration, their rationale is, you know what, we do need to make these changes, but if we make them, what comes afterwards could be so much worse, and I don't want to see that happen in my lifetime. So right. they're hoping that maybe we can just buy ourselves some more time. It's just we know that. <sighs> so we can enjoy climate, our, our little lives. Right. So climate change is, done. Is, is a new external variable that we don't know how that's going to play out over the next 20 years. Right. Um, well, it's kind of like, uh, in order you ever have that moment where you're like cleaning your room or reorganizing your kitchen and you look and everything is pulled out and it's a hundred times messier than it was when you started. And there's this part of you just wants to give up and you go, no, 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 no. Now I have to do the work mm -hmm. and reorganize and put things together. And I think the problem is that if there really is like a revolution that we're talking about a nonviolent revolution in which we just basically take what is owed to us from these rich motherfuckers, that we might come to a situation where everything's a little messy for a hundred, 200, maybe 300 or 400 years. Three. Oh, I was thinking like a few years, like the way I see it. Is, <laughs> but eventually we'll put things back together. I, what gives me hope is there are so many, people who do care, who want to spend their time making mutual aid networks stronger, that I think the putting back together of what will be messy. uh, I I hope so. I'm just trying to, you know me, I'm a utopian, but I'm trying to set reasonable expectations for myself that I'm not going to be able to live to see it. But a lot of their power derives from things that exist in information technology. It's on a computer. And so some of their it's kind of like i always think a lot of days when i think about it it's the wizard behind, it's oz behind a curtain there's very little there there there's Please not ignore the man behind the curtain right. right and i think the biggest variable is who's if 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 a oligarchic force is able to seize control of mi- physical military forces that's the part that's the most um 
potentially damaging, that their actual yeah. economic might is only as strong as their ability to, to have the physical military back them. Because all of these big tech companies are nothing without the US's 800 foreign bases and the police uh, penalizing hundreds of thousands of people for you know, taking a toothbrush uh, in a store while people that are downloading trolls too. Right. And then you've got people who are criminal taking over the federal reserve bank and putting trillions of dollars into the accounts of, uh, other crooks and criminals in their mafia network who basically nothing happens. And even if something were to happen, the case would go on for 15 or 20 years or five years and be completely financial. The remuneration there would be no true uh restriction of their physical movement or power and so it's yeah. just so appalling and so it's really in my mind if they're able to convince enough of the physical forces to go their way because otherwise yeah. they're nothing they're a man behind a curtain and a few women mm -hmm. in there but mainly men mm -hmm. So how do we get to, so that's why I watch the Wizard of Oz pretty frequently to kind of like picture. figure out, you know, the first time I drove, were we just talking about Wizard of Oz? Oh, we were talking about Wicked, the play. Oh, I loved Wicked. I know all the songs when I drove the across Phantom the Phantom Menace of Wizard of Oz. It's amazing. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I saw it on Broadway years ago. I saw it after Adina Menzel won the Tony. So after she won the Tony, she stayed on and did like another year in the cast. And then Chenoweth, Kristen Chenoweth, who was playing the Melinda or Belinda or Galinda or whatever her fucking name is. She was also nominated for the Tony, but she didn't win. So she moved on to the next. It's just so funny. Like if you win the Tony, then you stick around for another another round. But if you lose, you're like, I'm going to go scavenge for for a Tony somewhere else. Um, Tony, but, Tony, yeah. Tony. That's what I. But favorite. yeah, I mean the 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 Wizard of Oz. There, you know, there it's it that. all is. Let's find mm -hmm. that that I've been looking for um, the Yellow Brick Road. Um, I've been yeah. to Dorothy, Kansas. It's a beautiful little town, and they have a a memorial a monument to Dorothy. Memorial. Huge <laughs> memorial. It's a huge like. How tall was it? I mean, this was in I went. This was in two thousand and five. Oh, Judy Garland was what five foot seven? I mean, it can't be or four foot seven. It can't be that tall. No, but this was a whole like uh, they built a scene out of not paper mache, but I don't know what it was built out of, and it was at least twenty feet tall, if not thirty. It was big. Respect. I loved it. It was probably it was really the only stop I made. I drove from Tucson to West Virginia in two and a half days. I made, my first day, I went 994 miles, got a flat tire at two in the morning in uh, Texas, where was I, Texas, then made it to Illinois, finally slept for a night, and then yeah. was in West Virginia by the next afternoon and slept for 14 hours. But the mm -hmm. only real stop I made was in Dorothy, Kansas to see that. So everything to me is part of, is, is the Wizard of Oz and the entire world and everything that we're talking about, I think can basically be summed up by that um by using references to the wizard of oz but which one is the wizard of oz which one is the real world is it the dust bowl depression ravaged uh black and white sepia toned farm that dorothy lives on in canvas or is it the technicolor uh uh extravaganza of oz itself where are I we think, 
So this is where I go back to one of my friends in high school read this article about how part of oh, life. I knew a guy 20 years ago who read it. I still know him. We talk all the time. I get all my ideas from him. Uh, part of our life, our life is a hallucination in a sense. And it was this long winded um, theory this guy built. It well, makes it's a, very, a little bit of sense. I think therefore I am sort of situation. Right. And what we're seeing, so both of those worlds, and that's what's another reason why we can go to the Wizard of Oz, that it's both of those are the reality, part because the history that we cling to and the present that we live in is informed by certain myths that even if we acknowledge their myths, they still help us uh, live in reality and believe it and do something to change it. So both of those are reality simultaneously. And the weight we give to either will be different by different people and groups of people, but they both exist and we enter and go between them even within the same day. And some of it's purely in our mind. Some of it, we have to actually move through physical space, but that's one of another great thing about that movie that both of those realities exist simultaneously. Right. Yeah. And in cinema was like sort of the, um, the great, modern incarnation of that fantasy world that you know uh, many film historians have said that watching a motion picture in a darkened theater is the closest thing to uh, a waking dream mm-hmm. i mean i've had people do it in those like floating um chambers where they float in that like mm-hmm. water <laughs> well we're moving towards i mean like you said you know when we, we're reevaluating reality and what we saw in 2020 and what we're seeing spill over is that if you could not get the majority of people to agree on the basic tenets of reality, like counting, you know, 73 million votes versus another amount of votes, if you can't, if you can't agree on just one plus one is two and two equals two, if you can't agree on that reality, then reality ceases to exist, right? If, if the Trump people are saying two plus two equals three, and we're saying, no, it equals four, then it doesn't matter if we're right. Because if you can't get everyone to agree, reality ceases to exist. And who said, was it Rumsfeld or Cheney who, or like in 2003, he was on CNN maybe, and he said that we create reality by our actions because we're so powerful. Who said that? Something to that effect. It was like the might makes right, but kind of um, even stronger than that, that we create fact by our actions or reality by our actions it was a it's that kind of orwellian thing we're living in where it's it's not it's what you said but also it doesn't matter what actually happened what i do is true because i did it because i'm powerful so if you can't agree on reality then you have to go off into your little pockets and create your own reality and i think that this is um what we're seeing in, in pop culture when, you know, you'll, I see these articles post up, pop up in my feed that are like, Disney has released the new timeline of star Wars canon. And everyone goes, okay, this is when Yoda was born. And this is why Anakin's cape does what it does. And so you're proceeding from this like assumption that somewhere out there a long time ago in a galaxy far away, that this actually occurred and this actually exists. And to your point, the, the people at Lucasfilm StoryCorps are saying, we're so powerful that we can create our own reality by what we write down. And when you have people dressing up like fucking Boba Fett and going to cons and, and doing the whole thing completely in character, 
then you, yes, you have created your own reality. When you can go online and play Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic and interact with other people and spend your entire day, validate your entire existence in this, this 3D role-playing game, then that is a reality. So when you cannot agree on reality, you create your own. And of course, you know, my son's going to grow up in a world unless things really completely break down and there's an EMP attack that just destroys the internet. He's going to be able to like go live in these sort of like role-playing worlds. And that is where people are going to talk. It's where people are going to eat. It's where people are going to, of course, have sex. And it's where people are going to play. And um, we'll just be living on a fucking holodeck. You know, and the funny thing is that like, you know, I like I love talking about science fiction and all this crap because clearly I'm one of those people that exists in these in these other realities, right? But can sort of come back when I need to to do something else. Um, but the interesting thing is, everyone's like, "Oh my god!" So surprised that this like dystopian world is unfolding in front of us where we're like waiting in lines of cars to get tested to see if we have the disease that some people believe was created in a lab by the fucking communists and you know people are living like in trailers on their uh little ready player one gaming rigs living in this crazy reality when when people are are uh being replaced by robots and automated trucks and drones and everyone's like this is so crazy and it's like uh motherfucker we saw this coming like literally every single science fiction thing like predicted this and everybody except Star Trek and everybody thought like, oh, we can avoid this. It was like, well, if you're not doing anything except sitting around watching fucking science fiction, then it is going to happen. And here we are. We're living in the dystopia. Mm-hmm. But I'm a utopian, essentially. So I still believe there's a way to fight out of this peacefully. And, you know, I think you laid out a good plan, the five point plan, but my mind is like so overwhelmed by the events of January 6th that like, it's hard for me to like, you know, return and sort of think through, like, it's hard for me to be intellectual right now. I emerge from a fucking COVID stupor mm-hmm. to, to see that like, there's a civil war like occurring on the fucking Capitol steps while I'm like packing my bags to go to the hospital so my son can be born. It's very hard for me to like put together cogent thoughts. And if for whatever reason I feel inclined at ever any point to come back and listen to this bullshit, I'm probably going to be like, whoa, what the fuck? It's, do you want it? Can we go back to that EMP attack quickly? Sure. You're listening to liberal guilt radio. We're talking about EMP attacks. So uh, I first learned about EMP attacks from the uh, uh, okay James Bond movie and fantastic James Bond video game, GoldenEye, in which they have this GoldenEye satellite that can basically zap any kind of electronic and make it um, not work. Now, I am not a scientist or a military strategist, uh, so I don't know too much about this. But I basically know that uh, it works something like <laughs> the GoldenEye satellite. And, I, you know, we have the like this crazy giant Navy and all these destroyers and all of these um, and all of these uh, aircraft carriers. And I always have this image in my mind whenever I think about it of like these dark hulking husks, uh, you know, 20, 30, maybe 100 years from now, just like adrift in the Pacific with no lights on them 
and just becoming worthless uh, crustacean shells that have been abandoned by the organisms inside them. This great military might rendered powerless by the fact that they don't have any functioning electronics. Because our ships are not powered by coal, okay? Um, so you're talking about, well, how will the fucking corporate people stay in power if they don't have an army? Well, if they don't need an army, if everyone's already captured inside their World of Warcraft Ready Player One pods, being patrolled by automated cars mounted with machine guns and drones, then they won't need an army, Ben. And if you and if these morons uh, at the Capitol can have all of the tear gas and guns that they want as individuals, do you think there's really a lot of restriction as to what Walmart can buy? If Walmart suddenly wants to create APCs that are fucking patrolling their parking lots, blowing up uh, unregistered RVs. <laughs> The funny thing is, you know, my wife was asking, they're like, why do these people need tear gas? Why do they need, why do they need guns? Why do they need that kind of stuff? Because we're just seeing right now that they can use it to invade the Capitol. And I'm like, honey, here's the thing. The argument that those people are going to make is this is the reason why they need that. Mm -hmm. They need the tear gas and the guns precisely so they can take over the Capitol building if somebody they don't like wins. That's their rationale. And that is the backwards logic that we're trying to, to reason with here. So what did you want to talk about EMP? Electro, I think it's electromagnetic pulse, right? Mm -hmm. let's, look, let's look this up just to make sure. I'm, Part I'm of it like was it. looking at some of the older posts on the Q feed. Yeah. And one of the, the, uh, the ideas for creating, you know, we have a great reset coming out of the World Economic Forum, which is quite dystopic and it just weighs for this the power class to keep their power and and i i see it as this one of the splinters is you have uh unaltered humans competing with robots either for jobs or against you know militarized robots and then you have the genetically modified and enhanced humans that can uh more easily tolerate the external world um and even just process yeah. information things like that and so the great reset that the Q feed was talking about is how to shut down the world financial system for two weeks and spread havoc that way, which I remember when we were on a bike ride, we were just, you know, talking our, our minds off and somehow we got on that uh, tick. Yeah. And so sometimes we think of, you know, different, there's odd bedfellows in, uh, in world history. So we've got, you know, there, there's, and to execute something like that is obviously a highly coordinated action across mm -hmm. the entire world since the way the internet works, it's so diffuse that you can't just do it in a, you know, in New York city or Chicago. Um, yeah. But the thing is, even if you could shut it down long enough and erase enough in enough uh, information or data, yep. then when things come Which back, Which is also online, what the golden eye satellite of, is, is trying to do in golden eye. Right. <laughs> and so my thought is, even though they're like, well, it's backed up so many places, it's like, that's true. But if you can erase enough of it, then it comes down to which of these data sources is the right one. Because if there's some conflicting right. uh, data out there, 
then it's like, well, which, and so the chaos also ensues because it's deciding, well, which of these multiple sources do we use? Which one is the right one? And so it's just interesting to see that even on the Q feed, one of the great resets is using, I don't think they said EMPs, but shutting down the data centers of the yeah. financial, uh, the backbone of the fight. Cause all of it is, is numbers on a screen. There's very right. little physical money left anymore. Yep. Okay. So yeah, I, I did some quick Dylan Todd-ish uh, uh, research here about uh, EMP and yes, it is electromagnetic pulse. And according to Wikipedia, it is a burst of electromagnetic radiation caused by a nuclear explosion. The resulting rapidly varying electronic, electric and magnetic fields may couple with electric and electronic systems to produce damaging uh, current and voltage surges. Now, here's also an article from The Hill uh, back in uh, June of 2020. China's surprise years in the planning. An EMP attack. And they basically go through and list off like why the DHS uh, is like woefully underprepared uh, to deal with this. Uh, and then it goes into this um, uh, this article in the official newspaper of the Shanghai Communist Party Central Committee. The weak points of a modern aircraft carrier are one as a big target, the fleet is easy for satellite to reconnoiter and locate. So a huge degree of electronic electronization is like an Achilles heel for aircraft carrier fleet, which relies heavily on electronic equipment as its central nervous systems. These two characteristics determine one tactic. The possession of electromagnetic pulse bombs will provide the conditions to completely destroy an aircraft carrier fleet and the way to complete victory in dealing with aircraft fleets. Hmm. Fascinating. Does that article also go to the point that uh, one of the biggest threats may not be a quote-unquote foreign actor, but an individual or group living oh, yeah. in the U.S.? Because this was 20 years ago that the, the commies mm -hmm. were talking about. So, uh, you know, yeah. Who do you – I mean, I'm way more worried about this than a, than a nuclear attack, although it is uh, – the nuclear uh, EMP, you do need like a nuclear explosion to get it started. Yeah, but not uh, a big one. But right? the Chinese and the Kore North Koreans, they got that. You could bet your ass that yeah. uh, Iran has that. But I'm saying getting it on US soil, my guess is that it would be from a well coordinated and funded um, local group or yeah. groups working together. Because, you know, part of what we saw on Wednesday is that. You know, we knew this, but, you know, again, the, the little liberal guilt. They're like, oh, my God, these people aren't. And yeah, we predicted all uh, of this shit. You know, this is also one of the demeaning things. It's like they didn't just wake up out of the haystacks. It's like, what's wrong with people that live by haystacks? But anyway, it's like there's plenty of people that uh, computer programmers uh, and others that could easily carry out a nonviolent attack on the IT systems that under gird the entire financial system, which is the source of soft power of the United States. Maybe that'll be our one opportunity for Jubilee, our, our true, our true. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Odd bedfellows wipe out Jubilee by a fascistic regime. Fight Who knows club, how baby. that ends, but. Fight club, baby. Mm-hmm.
So my question for you is, we're, are we, are we, you know, no, I'm kidding. We're not going to join them, but um, it was just interesting to see that. On we're not on anybody's list. side except for the, except for people. Yeah. We're on the side of probably about 97% of people. Which is people who just want to live in fucking peace, be able to go to the doctor when they're sick, be able to eat when they're hungry, and be able to have a fucking roof over their heads and a bed beneath it when they want to rest. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're socialist or capitalist or whatever you want to fucking call yourself. Who gives a shit? At the end of the day, that's as stupid as saying you're a Harley Davidson guy. Like, it's just posturing and cosplay. At the end of the day... We all want to have our wife knock over our very expensive lightsaber. Really? Well, I'm trying our, to close out my fucking podcast. For our audience and me, <laughs> can you define cosplay, please? Uh, uh, costume okay. play. Is it costume, costume like play. dressing up is? Oh, okay. Yes. So when uh, there's a government shutdown, and Ted Cruz shows up at the Capitol building dressed like an out-of-work fisherman. Mm. That is cosplay. And uh, when a guy uh, shows up at Comic-Con dressed as a Boba Fett, that is cosplay. And when Nancy Pelosi puts her fucking scarf on and goes up on the stage and bangs her gavel and pretends like she gives a fucking shit about any of you and her partner in crime across the way Mitch McConnell shits his little depends as he bangs his gavel. They're cosplaying as leaders of a fucking democracy. Mm-hmm. My my thing is right now, if the House doesn't pass a new resolution to impeach Trump, uh, there is way more kindling on the fire for the future. Like this is oh, a pivotal pivotal moment, which partly because it sets a strong precedent. And the other part is because the next two years, well, there'll be so much media fervor to be like, yeah. no, 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 it's okay. We got over this. We're fine. Don't worry. We're back to normal. And then it's going to be just a fucking shit show. But I'm really, because like there are times like we don't want to deify politicians or people in power. Actors, we do need like dynamic that. personalities like right. AOC we don't want to, to deify them, but there are times in history where it does come down to a small group of individuals. Yes, and right now is one of those times. So they're not deities; they don't have this like unwieldy power. But they're right leaders. now, the power is in their hands. Yes, and or they uh, should be. Yeah, and we they got, can. We put, got two or three. Right, and it's for a few days. It's you know there, there are a lot of things that can be put aside and right now all over the country on this weekend there's going to be demonstrations to resist fascism and call on this the fact that it hasn't happened today i don't think yet i haven't checked for the last two hours is very is scary man here's what sickens me well i started out with what sickens me i'll end out with sickens me and then i'll uh i'll hand it over to you for the last word bill o'reilly style What sickens me is that this whole time, you know, Donald Trump is, even though he's those that he's, he lost, he's setting himself up for 2024. He's raising the money to survive and stay in the political arena and stay relevant for the next four years so he can get back in, keep his, his grip on the Republican party. What sickens me is that after what he did this week, that his sort of like 
polling numbers for a possible run in the next cycle have gone way down, but Mike Pence's have gone up because he's the defender of the democracy who at the end of the day, finally, after years of, of, of defying and, and, and defacing his own faith and his covenant with the almighty to stand by this fascist piece of shit that at the last moment he decides, oh, I'm going to read a passage from the Constitution and try to count votes, that this is somehow something that we should applaud. And then at the end of the day, the little coward ran out and didn't even fucking get the, take the votes. If it wasn't for those congressional aides, God bless them. They would have, those, those radicals would have burned down the, burned down the votes. So that sickens me that now Mike Pence is going to be somehow accepted back into society and into government as a legitimate uh, uh, political figure. And that these the Elaine Chows of the world can suddenly clutch their pearls and decide that this was the last straw. You know, after locking kids in fucking cages, the last straw was this? That sickens me. Go home. Go to hell. Go fuck yourself. And to these morons in the mainstream media who think, well, this is the defeat of Josh Hawley, and we're never going to hear from him again. You're an idiot. Mm -hmm. Go fuck yourself and everyone you know. Ben, I'll give you the last word. All right, I'm going to read a couple sentences I wrote yesterday. Okay. This is how I want to end it. So the establishment must be destroyed. What it will be replaced with in our lifetime is unknown. History tells us that it can go in two vastly different directions. We cannot fall back and be happy that we can return to normalcy as the new feudal lord in chief would have us want to believe as he installs lords from the rentier class to hold court throughout the off-white house. We need to dismantle both the logic of white supremacy alongside economic exploitation and wealth accumulation in favor of a politics of care and mutual aid. This approach will require directly addressing polarization especially when it comes to false dichotomies like Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, etc. We have a unique challenge of both healing and reconciling the divisions that have been front and center for decades while simultaneously enacting policies that, when viewed through these, devices lens, these divisive lenses, seem to help people who don't deserve it. Without taking a simultaneous approach of directly addressing racial inequality through inclusive policies and demilitarizing police alongside broad-based universal economic programs, we can never expect to make progress long-term. That is our challenge. Beautiful. Well, there it is, folks. For everyone here at Handsome Headquarters and the Liberal Guild Radio family, thank you for joining us today. Ben, thank you as always. Stay safe. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thank you.